0: Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We ask, God, that You would go ahead and speak to us through Your Word, Lord, that You would change us and transform us, Lord, by the power of Your Scripture, Lord, by the power of the Bible. We ask that You would go ahead and change us from the inside out. You would start. You continue to transform us, Lord, that we wouldn't look the same when we left today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome. Welcome. Uh, We are starting our uh, third week today in the sermon series in the life of Jacob, and how God has transformed his life. God took this guy who was a dirty, rotten scoundrel and used him to become uh, the amazing man of God that he became, to become the father of the twelve tribes of Israel, and eventually the Savior Jesus Christ. So uh, yesterday, and the day before, I was at a conference called the Transform Our World Conference. Was anybody able to get there from our church? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wasn't it good? I mean, I could tell your dad was so stoked. <laughs> He's screaming, yeah! It was so good. And I mean, it was that good. And uh, we, were, I was uh, uh, just, the people we were sitting around, everybody was just like, yeah, every person sharing uh it just kept getting better and better and i was really impressed and um taken by one of the pastors who was sharing his name is pastor roy yamamoto Uh, pastor roy his story is incredible he was as a young boy uh in all kinds of trouble he didn't quite figure out school when he was a kid he couldn't learn to read in time he kept falling further and further behind And pretty soon, he just fell in with the wrong friends and started getting into trouble and getting arrested as a teenager. And eventually, as a young man, he was arrested for armed robbery. Uh, He was arrested for attempted murder, for drugs. And he was looking at a lot of time in prison. In fact, two 40-year sentences, so 80 years. And he went back to his cell, he said, and he sat down and He was just crying there was no hope but then he remembered you know i just need god i know he he didn't really even know about jesus he said i just need god god please help me and pretty soon a friend in his cell a cellmate invited him to come to a bible study he said at that very first bible study he heard the good news of jesus and he's like yes that's what i want i need jesus and he prayed to receive jesus that first time he heard the gospel and from there he said the hope started bubbling up inside of him and he was telling his people in the prison about jesus and he was awaiting the trial well somebody didn't show up to the trial and so the judge dismissed the case it was a miracle but i guess he had some other charges and he was in prison for a little while. They denied his parole. Not once, but twice. And he was just, it was amazing to see. He was giving away all his stuff in the, in the prison, all his belongings. And then he was denied per parole. He's like, oh no, I don't have any stuff left. But he said, I don't care because God's just going to provide for me. And he was a man full of faith. And he was being transformed. Well, he ends up getting paroled. He comes out, or he he gets out of prison his sister picks him up and he said he was so nervous they were going to bring him back or it was a mistake so he said when his sister picked him up, he said walk fast walk straight to the car and he got in the car and he went home and you can see just god doing some great things he went to church the first church he went to he noticed the man up on the stage look familiar in fact that was the man he said that was the judge that dismissed my case And it turns out that was Pastor Elwin Ahu that dismissed his case. And God just started doing a good work. He started getting involved in the prison ministry. And he went back into the prisons. God did a supernatural thing. He taught him to read just like that, just reading the Bible. And he started a ministry to the kids of incarcerated youth called Camp Agape. Has anybody heard of Camp Agape? Yeah, it's... They started right here with 15 uh, students, 15 kids. They say that kids with incarcerated parents are 80%, there's an 80% chance they're going to go to prison as well. Isn't that amazing? It's the highest rate above any other group, 80% chance. And so they took these 15 kids. All of them prayed to receive Jesus. They met with them year after year and doing this Camp Agape out on the North Shore on Camp Erdman. And at the camp, they give them the best. They teach them horseback riding. They do the ropes course. They have mentors. They do their journal uh, with uh, reading the Bible and journaling together. And they teach them about Jesus and how to have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. It's so amazing. They showed us a video. Everybody was bawling. Okay? It was amazing. Camp Agape. Check it out. If you'd like to support a ministry... Wow, I can think of nothing better than Camp Agape. Pastor Roy is such a humble guy. And so now they, not only on Oahu, Camp Erdman, they do the neighbor islands. They just did one. Of, I mean, they've been doing some Camp Agapes in Oregon. They just did one in Arkansas, I think it was. They did one in Orange County. And it's just growing. Could could you just see these kids' futures being transformed? Isn't that awesome? They make the video with the kids, they, they showed it from when they were real young, starting off in the camp, maybe eight years old. And now they're adults, like 28, and they're preaching the gospel at the Camp Agape. Anyway, they take the video, the DVD, into the prison, and they say the men just bawl. And they say, that's my daughter. That's my son. Thank you so much for doing that. Well, just amazing. And as I was looking at the life of Jacob, I'm thinking wow kind of similar to pastor roy right this guy like i said was a dirty rotten scoundrel and as i'm studying jacob i'm going wow what a story of transformation in someone's life wow i just love seeing that and i love seeing it in all of us you know i think everyone here to some measure would say yes i can identify with jacob I can see the story of transformation happening in my own life. We're all a work in progress, aren't we? Somebody was telling me about a time where they used to wear these stickers, like a work in progress on their forehead. And, you know, we have to have grace for a lot of us. Like, hey, I'm not finished yet. I'm not like Jesus yet, but God is working on me. I'm a work in progress. So when I mess up, you know, I could use your grace. I'm a work in progress like we all are. With Jesus, this is another pastor who used to say this all the time. With Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. With Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Okay? I like that. I I really want to hold on to that. When I'm old and gray and ready just to go home to the Father... I can still think about that. With Jesus, it's like going to get better, right? The best is always yet to come. I'm so excited about that. It's kind of like, I think I'll make that my life model. I just decided, yes. With Jesus, the best is always yet to come, yes. Okay, I got one. You know when they ask you at those workshops, what's your life model? I never had one. Now I have one, yes. Okay, so God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. Isn't that good to know that? We're not just, you know, floating out here in the universe and hopefully something good happens to us. But God has a specific purpose and a plan for our lives. And He's going to continue to transform us if we what? If we allow Him to. A lot of times, you know, it's like, no, sorry, I don't want to move from this spot. I don't want to change who I am. I don't want to allow God to do something in me. And God is saying, okay, okay. Okay, when you're ready, I'm going to you know, continue to woo you. I'm going to continue to knock at your door. I'm going to continue to be there for you. But when you want to really get the work of transformation done in your life and see the person who you are right now is not going to be the person who you are a year from now, hopefully, right? God's going to come in, boom, and hit us. So today I want to go over three ways that the story of Jacob shows us that how we can experience God's transforming power in our lives to become the person god wants us to become so as bad of a person as jacob was god had a plan for his life he didn't give up on jacob but he continually looked to shape his character the name jacob itself means what it means cheat it means deceiver remember Jacob didn't have a good entrance coming into the world. What was he doing to his brother, twin brothers, who came out first? Esau came out first, and he held on to the heel, right? Don't come out first! Oh! He was so disappointed. Oh! You saw a little Ari up here? Okay? I can just imagine this, this little guy just being born, right? Oh! He was already got it in his DNA. And that was his name. To hold the heel, to cheat, the deceiver, Jacob. That's what it means. And... From the very early age, we see how he was causing trouble, how he's holding on to the heel. Well, later we learn how Jacob stole his birthright from his brother, his twin brother Esau. Esau uh, was the older brother. He had the birthright blessing. He stole it. He switched it around. He gave his brother a bowl of stew. Hopefully that was one good bowl of stew because Esau missed out on his birthright blessing. Then with his mom, Rebecca. He, both of them, they tricked the dad. They tricked Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing over Esau. So he got the father's blessing. So he really did a number on his brother Esau, right? How would you feel if you were Esau? Pretty mad, right? So Genesis chapter 27. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 27. Pastor Mark went over this last week a little bit. And he was talking about, wow, the amazing promises of God over Jacob. But this 27 verse 36 shows Esau's pain. It says, Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Right? Liar? Deceiver? Cheat? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing, this guy. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Verse 27, sorry, chapter 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge. Would you hold a grudge? Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. He's plotting to murder this guy. This is going to do him in. Jacob's relationship with his brother Esau, we see it being fractured. More than that, is broken. He wants to kill his own brother because of what he did to him. Well, here, one of her sons are in trouble, and his life is in jeopardy. So Jacob's mom, she says, hey, why don't you go back to my hometown? I'm going to send you back to my hometown where I'm from. Remember, Isaac came to get her, to marry her. And so... She says, go back to my hometown. You can stay with my brother, Laban. And when you're there, you'll be safe from your brother Esau trying to kill you. And when he calms down, then we'll have you come back home. Well, his dad said, yeah, that's a good idea. And while you're down there, what do, you, what do I want you to do? Find a wife. Just like I did. I found Rebecca. You go ahead and find yourself a wife from our hometown. Okay? So last week, Pastor Mark talked about the... Dream Jacob had It was like the stairway to heaven, or they call it Jacob's ladder, and in this dream, he sees the angels ascending and descending to heaven. And then he hears the voice of the Lord, and the Lord talks to him about the promises, his presence over Jacob's life, protection and provision. Those are the four P's last week. And it was a transformative dream. Jacob was in the process of being transformed. That's what happens when you get a dream from God, right? It's like, whoa! get some promises from God. God's presence is with you. And look at what he says in Genesis chapter 28, verse 20. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give a tenth. You notice that statement? There's a lot of conditions in there. If God will do this, and if he does that, and then I might do that, then he will be my God, then I'll follow God. Right? It wasn't a very personal prayer. In fact, it's not much like a prayer at all. It's more like a statement. There's no personal interaction when you we pray to god are we talking to the air no we're talking to who god our heavenly father we're talking to jesus it's like but we pray he's like yeah if you do this if that happens if that then he'll be my god right well he goes down to haran where his uncle laban was his parents hometown and he works for his uncle laban And you know the story, he had to woo the daughter, he married the wrong one after working seven years, worked another seven years, married the right one in between. There were like two concubines that became his wife, and he ended up having 11 sons, one daughter, four wives, okay? Now he has a whole clan, and he's gaining possessions, and this clan, he's deciding, I'm going to head on home, But what's standing in the way from him going home to Isaac and Rebekah and Haran where he's at now? His brother's fury, right? His brother still wants to kill him. So he's thinking, oh no, Esau wants to kill me. What am I going to do? Genesis chapter 32, verses 3 through 8. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went with your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. So Esau had quite an army. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. The, this, this guy had some chicks up his sleeve too, right? He's like, okay, I'm going to make a plan. Right? He divided them into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So he was devising a plan. He was devising a plan. He had to think of something. Because if he didn't think of something fast, a way to get out of Esau's fury, and he decides, you know what? He's going to give Esau a whole bunch of stuff. He's going to say, I'm just going to give you cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, everything. And you know, hopefully Esau will accept my gift. That was Jacob's olive branch to his brother. He was nervous, as we all would be. 400 men coming after us. And he's looking to pacify his brother. His whole clan, his whole family, all their lives depended on it, right? Genesis chapter 32, verses 9 through 12. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two people groups. Check out his language in his prayer. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. You can write it in your notes, in your bulletin. Number one, the first way God transformed Jacob and wants to transform us is God transforms us in times of honest prayer. Honest prayer. And you can see how God is transforming his prayer language even. The way that you speak to God shows a lot about where you are in your relationship with God. What type of language do you use when you... Pray to God. You know, first of all, it was very impersonal and conditional. Remember, if you do this, Jacob was saying, and if you do that, then you'll be my God. But now it's changing. It's becoming a lot more personal, a lot more honest. Verse 10, I am unworthy, he said, of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown me. Save me, he said. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, For I am afraid. He's saying he's afraid. He's saying he's unworthy. It's a little bit different than if you do this, if you do that. His heart is becoming more moldable. God is transforming him. And a lot of times we wonder, how are we supposed to pray? Am I supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer? I know Pastor Mark likes to pray the Lord's Prayer, right? He uses it all the time as his kind of an outline. Sometimes we can pray like A-C-T-S is another thing I learned. Adoration. You just tell God how much you love him, right? how awesome he is. Confession. You just confess some, the, all the sin that's in your life. Thanksgiving. You have a thankful heart. Tell him how thankful you are in supplication. Just say the things that you need, honestly. And then sometimes they add an S on the end of it, which is like silence, just listening to the Lord. Other of you... You write down in your prayer journal, you might have a list of things to pray. Maybe for yourself, maybe for your family, friends, coworkers, maybe the whole world, the mission teams, amen? And you might use that as your way to pray. We all have different ways to pray. There's no one correct way. But the one thing God really loves, and if you want to be someone who's being transformed by God, is being honest before Him got to be honest. You got to have a transparent heart. So what is your prayer language? Is it a lot like, Jacob's at first, if you do this, God, then I might do that for you? A bartering thing? Or is it, God, I'm unworthy. I need your help. I am afraid this dude is going to kill me. I am afraid. I don't know what to do. God, I don't know how I'm going to walk 127 miles. I don't know how I'm going to do it, God. Help me find good shoes, Lord. I need your help i need your help lord do we have that kind of posture before the lord god will transform you in times of being honest before him and that leads us to our next point number two god transforms us through a relationship with him a relationship with jesus genesis thirty-two twenty-two. this is an awesome story that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons whew, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. That's key. He was all alone now, right? None of his huge clan. He was doing a dad retreat. Okay? He needed to clear his mind. He's just all alone. Right? So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Like, liar. cheat." Verse 28, The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Whew. So, we see in chapter 28, like last week, the stairway to heaven, Jacob is pretty interesting because he's a spiritual person. He sees angels. He sees. He has these dreams where God is speaking to him, giving him all these promises. But now, now he's seeing God in the flesh. It's no longer a dream. It's no longer a voice from heaven. But now... God is coming to Jacob, right there, up close and personal. In the Old Testament, there are times when God reveals himself in the flesh, and that's called a theophany. Theophany is made up of two Greek words. Theos, which means God, and then phino, which means appear. So put together, theophany is appearance of God. And in this case, it's an appearance of Jesus Christ. Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus Christ born a lot later? How does he appear in the Old Testament as a person? And theologians and scholars will debate this, but I really truly believe that Jesus Christ was there in the flesh. You know what Jesus said in John 8, 58? He said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was... That was Jacob's grandfather. Before Abraham was... I am. Jesus is the great I am. He's always existed in personal relationship with the Father and the Son in heaven. And certain special times, he broke into the world before he was born. And he was there showing himself. And this is an awesome instance where I believe it was happening. And Jesus chose to show himself in the flesh to Jacob. And I love it because you can imagine the scene where he's at camp all alone and this dude comes out of nowhere, right? And it just says he was alone and they started wrestling. That is just, there's not a lot of explanation there. But I know Tyson, Tyson's doing the kids ministry right now. He was a wrestler in high school and they were wrestling all night, this guy and Jacob and if you're a wrestler, you know it takes about two minutes before you're exhausted. Five minutes max, you're just done. Right? But these guys are wrestling all night until daybreak. Until daybreak. But Jacob said, as tired as he was, right? I'm not letting go. In fact, a man who was Jesus was tired. God in the flesh was like, okay, brother, we've been going all night, it's daybreak. Let me go. Let me go. But what did he say? I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that's what God was looking for. That's when they were wrestling. He was saying, yes, I'm waiting for this guy just to want it. I want him to want it. And you know, Jacob, I had a feeling that he knew he was wrestling God. He at least knew that he was wrestling a holy man because who else would bless him? He wanted his blessing, right? Right? And it was at that point, the victory was won. And he said, yes, I'm going to change your name. Your name is Jacob. It's no longer Jacob, but it's going to be Israel because you have struggled with me, struggled, what did he say? With God and with men and have overcome. You've gotten the victory. And that's what Israel means. Israel means struggled with God and gotten the victory. Amen? I think we can remember that for the name of Israel right now as a country which hasn't been in existence all that long after 2,000 years of not being in existence. Struggled with God and have overcome. You've gotten the victory. Jacob was given a new name, but with a new name, it was a whole new identity. Right? He went from being a deceiver to being a receiver of God's blessings. Okay? That's what all he was. I need your blessing. I'm not going to let you go. And a lot of times, I'm sure when he was going through life, what's your name? Jacob. Okay, stay away from that dude. <laughs> this guy, everywhere he went, he had to carry that identity around. But Jesus is telling him, you know what? I'm giving you a whole new life, a whole new identity. It's going to be forever changed. You're going to be one who has proven himself. You struggle with God. But yet you've earned the victory. And a lot of times, I think we think our relationship with God is supposed to be this smooth transition. Everything's supposed to be easy. When you're a Christian, I should just get that house. Boom. I should just get that job. Everything should be peachy. But then we realize, wait a minute. Uh Uh-oh. I have trouble. Like Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I stop having troubles. And in our relationship with God, even, we're thinking... Everything's supposed to be smooth. He's supposed to reveal his will to us. I know who to marry. I know what to do in my life. Right? But it doesn't work out that way. And a lot of times I think we think struggle as a bad thing. Wrestling with God is a bad thing. But I think I would like to encourage you wrestle with God in your relationship a little. You would ask him hard questions that you would say, I want to go a little bit deeper in my faith. Why do I believe what I believe? My wife teaches apologetics to eighth graders. And it's awesome. These kids are smart. They can read these books and come up with all these reasons. I think we should know that too. And a lot of times in the Alpha course, I love Alpha for that. It gives you like, oh yeah, that's why I believe what I believe about the Bible. That's why I believe about Jesus. Well, wrestling with God can be healthy in your life. You learn who you are in relationship with God. That's what he was doing, right? You learn who God is. He was face-to-face. Have you ever wrestled someone? I'll wrestle anybody in here, okay? Maybe except for John. John's big. He's tall. He looks strong, okay? He's a fireman. But me, I I, I wrestle. I like wrestling. I like just doing all that stuff, fooling around. You know, as a kid, we thought we were in WWF and just, you know, body slamming. But I just like it. And you know what? When he's wrestling with God, he's up close. He's seeing Jesus in the flesh right here. He's breathing his smell. He knows what's going on, Right? That's what happens when you wrestle. You get to know. So I just want to encourage you, be up close and personal in your relationship with Jesus. It's reflected in your language how you speak to him. It's reflected in how you talk, how you view your relationship with Jesus. Struggle with God. And God's going to, once you grab a hold, he grabs a hold of you, once you're wrestling with God, he's going to start to transform you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? The old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You've been given a new name, just like Jacob did to Israel. You've been given a new identity. Have you received your new identity in Jesus Christ? Or are you still living out your old identity? Finally, the third way God transformed Jacob is, number three, God transforms us when we experience his grace. When we experience his grace. Genesis 33 verses 1 through 3. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Uh-oh. He divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two maid servants. <laughs> he put the maid servants and their children in front, Leah and children next and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. It's kind of like order of importance almost, right? Verse 3. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Let me repeat that. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Is this a different story? Wait a minute. What happened? Something happened there. Verse 5. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given his servant. Does this story remind you of another story in the New Testament? Call it out if it rings a bell. Any New Testament story? Somebody running out, throwing their arms around someone and kissing them and hugging them? Thank you. Who said that? I'm going to give you a high five. Good job. This reminds me of the prodigal son. I love it so much. That's my favorite story in the Bible. You have a son who totally messed up his life, totally disrespected the father. But yet, in grace, the father sees the son a long way off, runs out, hugs him, kisses, he's weeping, he gives him a robe, he gives him a ring, he has a huge party for him, they celebrate. His son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. This reminds me of it. Esau had his 400 men. He thinks he's, Jacob thinks he's going to get killed. And Esau runs out to him, hugs him. Brother, he's weeping. I love this story. Well, the prodigal son had come home into the arms of his brother. And I'm just going to skip to Ephesians 2 right now. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 7, talks about experiencing God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Ephesians 2, 1-7 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, Like you used to live a messed up life, right? Number three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our own sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace. And I love that story of Esau coming out to his brother because it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. But both of them are stories of experiencing God's amazing grace. His great love for us. We were dead in our sins. We're stuck in our sins. We don't know how to live because all we want to do is gratify the cravings of our sinful nature. Just like Jacob, he was stuck in his old identity, the name Jacob. But when God gets a hold of your life, when you meet Jesus Christ as a real person and see him face to face and wrestle with him, He gives you a new identity. You feel from a prodigal coming into the arms of the Heavenly Father, coming into the arms of a brother who you thought was going to kill you, but you just are covered by God's grace. Have you been covered by God's grace? Have you experienced what grace is all about? Because I think once you experience it, you know, man, I don't deserve it. I'm like a Jacob. I was supposed to live a life that was all messed up but look at how god has forgiven me more than that he's given me so much i'm blessed you know there's a difference between mercy and grace god shows us both mercy is when god forgives you for something that you did grace is god giving you something that you don't deserve god shows us mercy and grace have you experienced mercy and grace you know going back to the story of pastor roy i was really it really hit me because my own brother i have two brothers two younger brothers and we were living a life that was all messed up as kids and as teenagers we used to get into all kind of trouble get into a fight get arrested go out drinking get arrested lie get arrested you know rob houses all kind of stuff And, you know, I look at the life of Jacob, and I'm like, yes, that was me. Maybe not facing 80 years, but my life was supposed to be messed up. And, you know, Jesus saved me, and he gave me his grace and covered me. And I have Jesus in me. I'm so thankful for that. And I look back, and the way that we used to live, I used to influence my two younger brothers. They were all messed up on drugs. My youngest brother's in prison right now up in Arizona. And just to see, you know, he has a four-year-old son. I would love for him to go to Camp Agape when he gets older. You know, I just, I feel just terrible for the life that he's going through. But you know what? In the prison they have up there, he met Jesus Christ. He's covered by his grace. And when I go meet him on the video chat, I see him, he's full of joy, he's full of hope. He's preaching the gospel to me, to my dad when we're there. Isn't that awesome? He takes us from being Jacobs and gives us a hope and a future and gives us a new name. Live in the new name that God has given you. And it comes when you receive God's grace. Let's go ahead and stand now. I just know, Lord God, we just thank you that you are good. And there's someone here, Lord, has never received you before, Jesus. I pray right now they would say, God, I don't know it all, but I know enough to say I've messed up. I'm sorry for my sin. I see Jesus, that he died for me on the cross, that he was the one who paid the price for my sin. I want to put my faith and my trust and my thanks in Jesus. Help me, God, to live for Him and with Him in relationship with Him. And maybe there's other people here that have been trying to do life on their own, and they're tired, and they're running, and they're afraid, and maybe they haven't been so honest with God in their relationship. Maybe their prayers are just kind of like blah 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 lord god has just become there's no passion there there's no joy there's no excitement there's no rawness wrestling lord i pray for those people right now all of us in here lord that you would fill all of us with your spirit that our hearts would become moldable our hearts become hearts of flesh that we would say i want to go to that to that space where i can wrestle with god that my relationship would become new again And have the joy of Jesus living in me because I know him. I smell him. I feel him in me. It's real. It's authentic. That's what Jacob experienced. That new identity, that grace that only you can show us. We receive it this morning, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.